Well, hello, and good evening. Welcome back to another exciting episode of Mystic Misfits. My name is Ryan Evans, and I'm here with my co-host and colleague, Chaplain Deanna Barker. And we are having an open topic segment today. Nothing specific that we wanted to address in this particular podcast. We kind of just wanted to talk, because there's a lot to talk about. And I know that there's some things that we've left out um, in some of the other episodes because of time constraints, obviously. We don't want people to get bored, and our last episode was exactly at 60 minutes. So, And I'm no Anderson Cooper. Um, so, yeah, today's an open, open topic segment. And like our last episode was about soul energy and things like that. I know we left out like soulmates and twin flames and um, karmic companions and things like that. So I wanted to kind of go over that a little bit more. And I know Deanna wanted to clarify something too. Hi, Deanna. Hello. Hello, everyone. How are you doing today? I'm doing wonderful today. How are you doing today? Well, you know, I had, I took my mom for breakfast. I had like eggs and bacon and stuff like that and hash browns and you wouldn't think you would get a heartburn from it but I started to develop a really bad heartburn I think it's from the cream gravy and maybe the pepper I used so it's like I'm so pathetic nowadays like I can't even have pepper <laughs> right I just I can't understand it it just really sucks to, spice to age you, huh? no uh, apparently I have to just eat very bland food Actually, that's why I love the lubies that was across the street because I could eat that food and it did not bother me whatsoever. Because it's bland. Because it's bland. Yeah, I know. Um, so I just I got me a smoothie and I'm doing a lot better. But well, thank you for asking. It's so good to All see right. you. It's been a, it's been a week. <laughs> yeah, it has. Okay. Just a week. Did you have a good week? Yeah, I had a good week. Yeah. Anything okay. interesting? No. 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 Have you done some good, intense prayers? I've done some prayers. I don't know if they were intense or not. <laughs> yeah, so, hey, it's always intense. I was I was definitely having some conversations with God earlier this week. I'm probably gonna have one later after the podcast. It's about stuff. Oh, okay. Stuff. Yeah. Okay. Any, stuff. Anything I should know about? Um, just basic, normal, everyday shit. I, I mean, things have been tough lately, especially from the new moon, and we had the solar eclipse, and then the just the new moon energy, and then getting out of the Mercury retrograde. I mean, just things have just felt so heavy, and things have just been so stagnant. So, yeah. Did yeah. Did you get to see the solar or no. partial eclipse yesterday? No. No, I didn't. It was really cool. I didn't buy any glasses or anything. Uh, because I've I've seen eclipses before. Like, several. But there was one that I remember when we were in Los Angeles, because we used to live there. And we went to some mall. And everybody, there were like a whole bunch of people outside. And Richard Simmons was there. Mm, okay. Yeah, and Richard, I mean, I was only like eight or nine at the time. And Richard Simmons, I was like, Richard... Because I knew him from the weight loss stuff that he did. Right. That my mom was on. And I guess I was a little bitch of a kid back then because I remember telling him, my mom has not lost any weight on your, <laughs> on your stuff. 
And he was like, oh, no, that's, well, not everybody can. <laughs> I was like, yeah. Because, I mean, I'll always remember that. But, yeah, he was very nice. Okay. I know, I'm sorry. I just kind of went off there. Well, minor correction on last week's podcast. Um, we discussed that the body was, or there was spirit, soul, and mind it actually should have been in the bible it says spirit soul and spirit body and soul not spirit mind and soul spirit body and soul right That's but it's still it three be. parts it's still three parts and the body's the body's just interchangeable word for mind okay okay and that can be found in First Thessalonians five twenty three and Hebrews four twelve, for those of you who have Bibles. Hmm. And for those who actually pull them out and start reading. Yeah. yeah. Actually, there there are a lot of people that do that. It's not just about the Gideons putting their Bibles in hotels. I mean, people do read their Bible. Do they understand it, and does it make sense to them? No, but they still read it, I'm sure. Well, That's why you need some of those other Bible things, like the Bible dictionaries that explain everything. And a concordance would help, you know. But if if you want to learn the Bible, the best way is to start off with a children's Bible. Oh, that's a good idea, yeah. Yeah, start off with a children's Bible. And then when you get to the adult Bible, don't start off in Leviticus. It'll fry your brain. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. And honestly, probably give you a lot of bad ideas. You know. Yeah. Leviticus is hard. It's 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 all about it's all about rules and regulations that were given to the Israelites and. Um, Correct me if I'm wrong, but it was most of it is about rituals, right? right. Yes. Rituals for the high priest. Rituals. Yeah. You know, it was the do's and do nots of what they could do and what they couldn't do. Right. And there's so many different rituals, you know. Uh, Yeah. So just stay away from Leviticus. My suggestion is start off in Genesis and then 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 go to Psalms. And then when you think you can handle it, you can go back and read the other Mm -hmm. Old Testaments, you know. Because the New Testament is really not as hard to read as the Old Testament. But the thing about understanding the the New Testament is that you have to understand that there's uh, prophecy in the Old Testament. And in the New Testament, a lot of that prophecy is fulfilled in the New Testament, especially when Jesus comes. Right. That would make sense. You know, and, and that's what he said, too. You know, and I'm sure some of the a majority of that prophecy was regarding Jewish people not the pagans not everybody else no yeah no it was it was strictly for the Jewish people and the first first in the Old Testament all you had was um, the Jews mm-hmm. and the nations mm-hmm. and that was it in the New Testament well you had the Jews the nations and then Jesus came and you had the church so a lot of that, a lot of that was, you know, it was fulfilled when Jesus came. Not all of it, but New Testament is mostly the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. 
That makes yeah. sense. That's a good breakdown. Like in Old Testament, like in Old Testament, Hannah prophesies. Um, she, you know, Hannah was barren. Well, she couldn't have. Ch- she didn't have children, and she wanted children, mm-hmm. but she prophesied six children. In the physical, but she prophesied the seventh, and that was the first time um, the word King Mashiach was used. Was when she prophesied the seventh of his coming. Hmm. So actually, she prophesied seven seven children, but six of hers, six of them were only going to be hers. Who did the last one belong to? Well, the seventh one that she prophesied was Jesus. that was so she prophesied his coming and that's the first time in the bible the word king mashiach was used Hmm. so that's in first or second samuel so yeah who's king mashiach king mashiach is jesus is another another word for jesus Jesus well i just learned something new i did not know that yeah okay he was known. He was known to the Israelites as as the Messiah, the King Messiah. Hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Is that a Hebrew word? It's a Hebrew word. Messiah. Okay. Interesting. We'll have to talk about that later. <laughs> so, a lot of prophecy in the a lot of prophecy is in the Old Testament. Okay, so you did you did your correction. We left out things like soulmates. What is a soulmate? We left out twin flame. We left out karma companion. Um, those are words that are used constantly. There's like entire series of books about these types of things coming out. Um, and of course, you always hear them in movies and things like that, but. Everybody's like, oh, where's my soulmate? Where's my soulmate? And I have a lot of clients that come to me and is like, I believe that this person is my soulmate. Or is this person my soulmate? Or I've been told that we're twin flames. Like, you know, can you help me identify what what is the current situation? Who the fuck is this person in my life? <laughs> and why do I have such an attachment to them? And why do they treat right. me like shit? <laughs> Exactly. I could ask that same question now because I have somebody in my life that's like that. Um, so you have to explain it because I don't know much on, on these subjects. Okay. Well, first off, before I do that, let me ask you, what do you think a soulmate is? Well, I think a soulmate is somebody that, that is your best friend that you can relate and tell anything to, but you're not physically or romantically attracted to them. Okay. So with that said, I will tell you that that does sound more like a karmic companion. Okay. But I'll go into the definitions. So a soulmate is definitely somebody that you have had multiple lifetimes with, give or take. It could be 20 lifetimes. It could be 30. It could be 100 lifetimes. But you had some type of relationship with that person. Yes, it could have been something that was sexual and romantic and intimate and then it could have been something that was more like the connection of a, of a familial dynamic like mother and son or you know brother and sister something along those lines um, 
but that's pretty much what a soulmate is. There are those that, that believe that a soulmate could also be the idea, but then this also kind of ventures off into the twin flame idea. But a soulmate is somebody that when God created your particular uh, soul, you know, when he pulled from himself the ether, wherever he gets the ether from, that energy, that, that essence, um, pulled that essence from, from, from him and maybe divided it into two. So you're basically a part of the same essence of like a, a specific energy group um, that was then turned into the soul. So that's that whole idea of maybe like you came from that same group of energy and that's why you're a soulmate or a twin flame. Does that make sense? Yes, I, I guess. Okay. So, in some ways, yes, uh, that's basically kind of what it is as well. But to be a soulmate, you don't necessarily, it doesn't constitute you coming from the same group of energy, that same essence that he pulled at that exact time, which then, you know, constitutes you being a soulmate. Because you could, ha you could be a soulmate with somebody if you've had multiple lifetimes together and then you've accumulated the karmic energy as well. So, again, like I said earlier, you could have 20 lifetimes with somebody and you may come back and it may not always be a love relationship. You may not always be fucking each other. It could just be in a position to be friends. There could be obviously some type of attraction of course, it could be like you, again, most people are like, right. I feel like I know, I've know i known this person forever or from some other time period. It's not all about the sexual attraction. There could just be a lot of mental stimulation as well. You're just very attracted to their mind. And then, I mean, again, you don't have to be physically attracted, but there's other things you may just be attracted to and you don't know why. Right. Um, the same thing kind of goes for a karmic companion. Carmen Companion is also uh, somebody that you may be attracted to in some way, but it doesn't necessarily uh, depend on, it's not. A, it's a relationship that's not dependent on sex or lust. There's many other things you just, you, you feel like you, um, you might want to be in that person's life to mentor them or to be a friend or they, they feel like they need to mentor you. Um, you just have a very strong bond that way and you know that you maybe you feel like you can't live without them right because you just you you have to have that connection with them but it's not based on solely on like we need to be married we need to be together in a relationship where right. we just really flow and vibe together and we get along we have a lot in common we, you know, we may not argue and that's, I mean, that could be considered a karmic companion too. But the odds are you and that soul, that other person, have had multiple lifetimes together and you shared some type of interpersonal dynamic of some sort. Okay. So that's that's kind of the breakdown. Of course, a lot of people come to me and they're like, um, well, all right, this thing between my soulmate or twin flame isn't working out. They don't want me or, you know, we're broken up, we're not fucking, blah, blah, blah. Okay. So, and then they want to start doing, you know, cord cutting uh, rituals and ceremonies. Well, all right, so that cord, that that's the karmic cord 
that's the energy that has been accumulated you know, over the years. If in fact you are a twin flame type thing, type situation, mm-hmm. then it goes back to, yes, when God pulled that ether, that essence from him to create you and the other person, yeah, there you're sharing a unique signature pattern, a unique frequency with that person, and and thus, yeah, you it is considered like a chord because you're constantly gravitating towards one another in some form or fashion, whether it be in this lifetime or perhaps other lifetimes. So yeah, and if the karma isn't good and you keep fucking things up for whatever the reasons, then yeah, that frequency, that chord does need to be disconnected. And there are lots of rituals, lots of different methodologies to do that. So that's kind of what the whole idea of soulmate, um, twin flame, and karma companion would be. Does that make sense? Yeah. Do you have questions about that? No. No. (laughs) well it's it is something i mean obviously a lot of intuitives a lot of psychics get that they get clients that come to them and are like is this my soulmate is this my twin flame is this my karmic companion what are we supposed to do together but i love this person but he doesn't love me or i love her but you know she's often you know costa rica with somebody yeah or you know we've had children and now what 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 should we do about that? You know, that reminds me about something else. I think a lot of people believe that because they have children with somebody, they feel it's their responsibility to stay together because of that. Like that's an, uh, some type of glue that has, like super gorilla glue of some sort that has binded them together because they have the children, which I totally understand. Right. Well, that's a lot of people. That's a lot of people. But I hear so many of these people's stories telling me how unhappy they are. That, that yeah, they may have had children and they still well, may care about... Well, not just children. They don't just stay together for children. Sometimes it's financial, too. You know, sometimes it's it's... Sometimes it's financial, but a lot of it's the kids. It's like, well, if I didn't have the kids, yeah, I probably would have left him. <laughs> you know, I've heard plenty of guys tell me it's, it's you know, cheaper to keep her than to divorce her. Mm-hmm. So. Well, yeah. I, have to, I mean, obviously, you have to have a lot to lose, sure. No, no, and I hear that, too. Um, and, of course, it's about timing. And then the other person may not have a job at that time, but yet they're so miserable and unhappy. I guess for my what I was thinking about when we were talking about that initially was that why is it that they feel that it's their responsibility just because they had the kids to stay in a relationship where they're not in love with that person? Or maybe they went in, into it with good intentions, but you know, later on it just completely deteriorated, breakdown of communication, both parties are unhappy, you know. somebody's drinking too much or doing drugs or checking out basically. It's the scenario, you know, also, you know, sometimes you work great together when you're not married and you're living in separate residencies, but then you get married and you're living it on the one roof and it just completely falls apart. 
Mm-hmm. Kids or no kids. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, you hate each other. <laughs> right. All of a sudden, you hate each other. Well, and then there are so many. There are so many people. They got married because they got pregnant. I was like, okay, well, you were fucking without any type of protection, protection or, you know, uh, weren't on the pill or whatever, and you got pregnant. What did you think was going to happen? And now you had the, the child, but you, apparently you guys were just fuck buddies. Y'all were just fucking. You may have not even been in love. And how how is that child supposed to now come into the world and... You know, expect to be a part of you and the other person when you both of you are not even love. That is a huge problem, and I hear that all the time. Right. I hear so many people tell me that they had horrible relationships growing up, horrible dynamics with either their mother, their father, or both parents. Because both parents, and this is a this is a this is a very sad. Um fact I, I would say it's a fact that some people are just not in love with their children because they were not in love with the person that donated the DNA <laughs> the sperm mm-hmm. or the egg <laughs> yeah they uh, I've I've heard so many of these stories of you know my mother treated me like this there was no communication to, she there was no affection Right. Uh, my or no affection from my father, and they treated me like shit. And yes, they may have fed me and gave me clothes, and uh, they gave me sh- sh- a shelter, but there was nothing else. Right. There was. They did not feed their soul or cultivate the soul. They just fed the body. That was it. And even as some of these people are, you know, forty years old, fifty years old, some of them are sixty, and they tell me this. That they had these horrible relationships, and then of course they'll also end up telling me like a majority of them, oh yeah, my parents separated, they divorced, or they didn't, they weren't even together. And basically, what that equates to is because we all think, and as, as we should, when you have a child, you're gonna love that child unconditionally, ideally, in an ideal world. Are you supposed to? Right, where there's complete balance and homeostasis, and I mean, you, know, you have like a little bit of a utopia, right? You you would think that you're supposed to love your child unconditionally, one hundred percent. But no, there are some people that you could factually say, no, my parents or my parent was not in love with me, and the majority of that was you could, you could blame that on, or. You, associate that with the fact that they weren't in love with the other person that they had the child with right because then I also hear from them well you know my dad wasn't definitely wasn't in love with me he didn't show me any affection but he got married to this other woman and oh my god the things he does for those kids (laughs) (laughs) that is just something that I, I think a lot of people don't necessarily think about or they think about it it's in the back of their mind like is this man or this woman that was my mother or father, they in love with these other people, but they weren't in love with me? Right. I, I, that's just, I, I wish people would start thinking like that. It's like, if you're going to have kids, please be sure that you are in love 
with the DNA donor. Mm. Well, we know that doesn't always work out that way, so. No, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. And it's just so sad to listen to those stories and have to, you know, try to help or guide these individuals through that to get over that, basically. Kind of like we were talking about in the last segment about soul regression and for them to regress these things out of them and begin healing. Yeah. Of course, there's lots of other variables. I mean, sometimes the parents are just too young when they have their kids and they're not emotionally or mentally stable enough to even handle the concept yeah. of having a child. Because some people have told me too, you know, yeah, their their parent may have not loved them or showed them that type of love. But here, you know, maybe like 40 years later, now the parent is trying to show them something, some type of level of affection or you know, some type of endearment. But it's like you're 40 or 50 years kind of late. Yeah, yeah. But, so, yeah, I definitely wanted to just kind of mention that. Um... What else have we not, or have we kind of neglected to talk about? There's a lot of things. What? Is there anything that you've been... Grief? Oh, yeah, grief is something. Do you know? Well, a lot of these people grieve over that type of stuff. Yeah. Grief is a, grief is a big thing. I mean, even when you know that somebody is... terminal... And going to pass away and you may have like a year or two to prepare for it or years and sometimes when even when it I mean when that moment comes it's still very difficult to fathom and grasp and everybody handles grief differently yeah yeah they do and and the thing about it but grief is is it's not of God you know uh, we grieve we're supposed to grieve for a, a short period or a long period of time, but we're not supposed to stay stuck in it. A lot of people stay stuck in it the rest of their life. Yes. Well, I mean... You know, so... I, I mean, I'll be honest with you. My mom grieved tremendously for mm -hmm. her, my uncle um, because he basically died unexpectedly. It took only about 30 days. Right. And then she still grieved for her mother and her father. Even though we knew that that was coming, and then uh, I think also what she grieved a lot for, of course, too, was my nephew that passed away. Because um, when he was born, he stayed in the hospital for basically eight months and died in the hospital, never left. Oh, yeah. yikes! Yeah, so I mean, I totally understand that. I'm gonna read this passage on grief. Okay. Oh boy. Okay. People often make the mistake of giving themselves over to grief instead of the word of God. There is a spirit of grief. It opens the door to wicked spirits. It's ca it's caused, it causes depression and panic attacks. As a believer, you don't have to grieve and be in depression. You have to, you have to be sad for a period of time. An example, a person says that they don't know if their loved one was saved or knew the Lord or not. Okay, this may be true, but you can't do nothing for them. 
This is a prime example of why we must preach the gospel and make God known to try and win souls over to the Lord, even if they don't want to hear it. You can't worry about the person now. You got to focus on your on yourself. Focus on the living and the life dedicated to the Lord. Proverbs 3 2 says, Let us know that we have nothing to fear in death. You may not be called to ministry or or something in the clergy field, but your calling calling may be just to love others, be a giver, and bless someone. While we are here, we as saints are to be strong and steadfast in the Lord. We must always remember his words and keep his words. Why? So we never come to a place where we are despondent and without God. Mm-hmm. Yeah, despondency is not good. It's not good. It's 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 not um, good. So uh, it's it's we have to remember his words. And Deuteronomy five thirty two says, "So be careful to do what the Lord your God has commanded you. Do not turn aside to the right or the left." Walk in all the way that the Lord your God has commanded you so that you may live and prosper and prolong your days in the land that you will possess. So, you know, it. a lot of people forget forget about that. Well, a lot of people are mad with God when their loved one dies. Oh, 100%. You know, instead of turning to him, they're angry with him that their loved one died. But, you know, I think... Can, they need to remember that everyone's going to die, including themselves. So it's 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 not like it's an unfair thing. No, it's everyone gets their equal turn. Tomorrow's <laughs> not promised to anyone, and I mean we all like that's a part of this this. I mean, some of us, some people will say, no, 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 this wasn't a bargain. I was just put into this body. But yeah, it's, it, that's a part of the system. We're as soon as we're born, we know at some point we're going to die. Hopefully it's a long time from the point of, of, to which we were born. Right. So that's... But there's different types of grief, too. And different levels of grief. Yeah. I mean, as you know, and my close personal clients know, but I've um, been separated from my husband, and uh, we're basically split... So, of course, as a intellectual person and a person of responsibility, I sought uh, psychological counseling for it. And, the, of course, the therapist told me that I am grieving. And I've been grieving ever since. Um, we had our breakup. And, well, mm-hmm. of course, we're not divorced yet. but Right. But, yeah, that is a type of grief, too, when you go through a separation or divorce with somebody that you are madly in love with and you, you know you you're basically grieving for that person it's mm. different than the person if they would have died because you know they're gone but right in this particular case when it's a separation or a divorce uh you know they're still alive and maybe they're going through something similar and then maybe not um so it's it's definitely been difficult uh, but I've tried not to be despondent about it. Yeah, people become despondent. I mean, you know, after someone dies, they just, some of people just curl up in the bed and they just never move from it. Oh, yes. They lose, yes. They lose their whole world. They're, or they turn to alcohol and... Mm-hmm. Alcohol, drugs, um, 
And uh, it could also be pharma. When I say drugs, it doesn't have to be illicit. It could be pharmaceutical drugs as well to numb the pain. So I thank God every day that that has not been me. But I've yeah. also had a support system in place. You know, I have my family. I have my um, co-workers. I have you in our podcast. <laughs> so, okay. So all of that has helped me tremendously. Right. But I get clients that come in, uh, and, of course, they've not gotten over that type of uh, their, their relationship, mm-hmm. whether it's been a divorce or separation or a breakup. Right. And if it's going on like a year or two years, then that is the time that there needs to be some heavy intervention. And that could also require maybe like a um, – cord cutting ceremony or ritual of some sort to cut the emotional ties that you have with that person so that you can move on and and begin healing what's what's involved in a, a cord cutting ceremony what do you do in it? it's a white rope and what a candle white candle lit or something and then you you cut the cord with a pair of scissors or do you um, burn it over the candle or so in some cases it could be that simple it could it could be in some cases, but it, mm-hmm. and quite honestly, no. If it's, it's something that you've been dealing with for a long time, like over a year, chances are it's going to involve more intervention. It's going to involve more symbolism and uh, more energy in terms of the ritual right. and the capacity of the ritual. And you might have to repeat it several times as well. And that m- might require spiritual embodiments, basically. Um, um, could be like dolls of some sort to represent you and the other person and then cutting those cords uh, of course candles as well with uh, cords okay. attached to them and burning those and cutting them and then uh, burying the rituals of course too to symbolize right the letting go part so symbolism is very important in that type of ritual but it is very helpful and then of course also doing soul regression too to bring to the forefront, to the surface, right, the emotional connections that you had and the pain and sorrow that that person may have inflicted upon you, whether it was intentional or not. Yeah, there was something else I wanted to share, but I can't find it down. Was it about grief? Yeah, it was about grief. But I can't find it in my, in, in my book. Well, there's just so many different layers, as we said, about grief. You know, but yeah, grief is something that gets a lot of, it gets, it, it, it gets everyone stuck, Christians and non-Christians alike. And like you said earlier, they blame God. And it's, it's just like. Which is the last person you should blame. You know? No, because deep down we already know that these things are going to happen. It's just that we wish that we could have, you know, infinite amount of time with our loved ones or our spouses, things like that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, okay, so what else can we talk about? Well, there's something else that I kind of wanted to mention about karma. I hate karma. Because <laughs> karma is, is about sowing and reaping, and we touched on that before. Well, I know, but there, there's this, there's definitely been something that's been eating me up, and sometimes talking about it, um, you can definitely reset 
the person and bring about okay. the healing. But I'm listening. I'm flipping, but I'm listening. Okay, you continue to flip. Um, just don't flip me off. <laughs> so, you know, as I sit there and listen to clients and their relationship dynamics and things like that, mm-hmm. I've heard many, many stories over the years, thousands of stories. And I've heard some very you know, horrible things that people have done or had done to them. Right. Emotional crimes perpetrated to them. Well, and one of those things is too, you know, as society evolves a little bit more, and you st- and um, we open our minds to things that we may have considered taboo over the decades uh, about different types of relationships and having open relationships or um, non-monogamous relationships mm-hmm. and polyamory and things like that, um, which is a good thing that society is evolving on that because as we do that you know people realize that well you know maybe maybe it wasn't necessarily just um you know exclusive sexually maybe i'm maybe i am exclusive to my spouse or lover emotionally but maybe i'm a swinger or something like that there's many different formulations of it so of course with that said, people are going to experiment, but, you know, obviously I do hear, and I'm not judging, I'm just talking about it, bringing it to the surface, uh, to the forefront, because people find themselves in these types of situations. People, um, you could have a marriage or a relationship and yeah. there's an outside influence that comes into it, and I've, I've been on the side listening where somebody comes to me and is like, well, you know, there's this person that is trying to get my husband and, uh, you know, they've been having an affair and all this other stuff and she knows I'm married. And then I've been, I've been on this, on the side listening to where the person that's actually the other person, the outside influence comes to me and says, well, I'm dating this guy and, you know, he's been married for so long, but he apparently isn't happy, but he's not leaving her. (laughs) I'm like, okay. Planting that seed. Yeah, and so these types of things are happening day in and day out, you know, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, all, all over the world, certainly not just in the U.S. So in my, you know, and I'm speaking from personal experience as well, I mean, I've experienced this here recently. Um, there was an outside influence in my relationship, which... It was something that I was aware of, but I didn't know to the I didn't realize the extent. And by the time I did, it was too late. Right. And that, along with some other things that were going on, um, you know, basically was the perfect uh, equation for the dissolution for the end. Right. So, stuff like that happens. And it is a very uh, atrocious, ugly truth that we have to acknowledge sometimes. But the thing is, some people who like to preach about ugly truths certainly don't practice what they preach. 
if yeah. that makes sense. Yeah. So it's like if you know you're in a situation like that and you see the conflict that arises from it, mm-hmm. why not be the adult and walk away? Why be the one that has the lighter fluid and tosses the lighter fluid on there and uses a torchlight? <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes it's easier to do that, use a uh, torchlight, than to walk away. Well, I mean, for somebody... But that's all about the heart, too. It's all about a person's heart and them not having the right kind of heart. Exactly. They're too involved in whatever they're feeling emotionally to really work it out mentally. And that is what ends up causing a lot of issues. Because they might perceive that, oh, no, this person's my soulmate or my karmic companion or Mm -hmm. my twin flame and all this other stuff. Right. Okay, but you're not living with this person. You didn't spend six years with them. Mm. You you, you didn't invest all of the time and the energy and the money and the resources into it. Right. You don't know what it's going to be like to be with this person. You're just... You just got into this in a a certain amount of finite time. And like I said, there are other variables. Didn't realize the extent. But at the same time, when the conflict arises, if you find yourself in that type of situation, the best thing to do is to walk away for a while, give the other individuals time, and go from there right. but don't be the catalyst and then not just the catalyst and if you're the catalyst you have that you still have time to walk away and give the other individuals opportunities to maybe work things out because you may have exposed something that was going on that neither party was really uh, aware of or neither party was Willing well, to contend with. You know, at that I see of time. this too. I counsel a lot of people in marriage and stuff like this, and they always want to experiment and bring in a third party, whether it's whether it's a couple bringing in a woman, mm-hmm. or whether it's a couple bringing in another guy. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, we talked about this before about about planting the seed, mm-hmm. and when you plant the seed, God says. You know, he says in uh, he says in Matthew twenty four thirty, he says that uh, he is the farmer, and he says, "I send the light, I provide the water, I give the blessing over the seed, and I have the law of sowing and reaping." However, I do not determine a seed that a person plants. The person plants their own seed. God said that I have said in my word in Galatians six seven, which reads, "Be not be not deceived. God is not mocked, and forever for whatsoever man soweth, that shall be also he reaps. For he have soweth in the flesh shall also reap corruption." But he that soweth to the spiritual of the spirit reap life everlasting. And let us not be worried in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. 
So you open the door for that seed to be planted. You have to deal with the consequences if it goes away when that seed comes up, but it's not God's fault. Right. So, but in here, as you said, open the door. So if the door is open between two consenting adults who believe that their relationship is super tight, it's locked down, you know, sex is sex, nothing emotional. But the thing that's about one it thing. Is, why take the risk? Why t- why tempt? That's a good question. Again, it's going to be if you love each other and 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 the sex is good between you, why bring in a third party? Because the couple that plays together usually stays together. <laughs> That's not true. <laughs> It can be. As you found out. It can be. The couple that plays together could you know, stay. The couple that is very open in in certain regards, yes, it I mean it, it can add a lot of health and, and increase the increase the odds of uh, mitigating the cheating. That's the whole thing about it too. Because you you again, I okay, now this is going to go into a, a separate topic in and of itself, but monogamy, like I'm not a monogamous person physically. I already know I identify with being a swinger, for example. Um, but emotionally, if I'm with someone, especially if I'm with that person for six years, I'm emotionally invested in that person. I could be with that person emotionally for you know, an indefinite amount of time. Of course, as long as the other aspects of the relationship in life are you know, being adequately held up, sure. But if everything's failing, then no. I mean, odds are it's best for both parties to separate. See, and, and, I, and again, I say, why tempt? Why do it? The Word of God says if you plant that type of seed, expect you're going to reap corruption. So, <laughs> and that's exactly, exactly what happened. But now, you see, some of these people, some of my clients, for example, some of them might, of course, and people out there, just I mean, and most that, of all, you open the door, you open the door, to excuse my expression, uh, for them to meet somebody who fucks better than you do with them. But <laughs> Absolutely. But here's the thing, though. If they have the need, if both parties have the need to, you know, fuck to bring in somebody fresh and fresh and fresh meat, per se. Um, like I said, it's going to help to mitigate the idea of cheating. Right. But that's the whole idea of two adult individuals who are in touch with their emotions and mature enough to acknowledge that amongst one another. Otherwise, a majority of the things that I hear from the clients is that it, it usually involves cheating of some sort, um, whether it be well, emotional and sexual, physical cheating. So why, to me, the, the idea of lying or um, omitting information is worse than just saying, Hey, babe, I, I, I really like this guy. I really want to fuck him or taste him. <laughs> then you shouldn't have married me. That's what I would say. If you were still looking around. Well, no, no, because for, again, that is something that needs to be brought on the table, which my husband and I had that type of relationship. We had that type of uh, uh, open type of Okay, situation. but was it all worth it? In the end? No. <laughs> No, but like I said, there were other extenuating factors, too. There were other things that were wrongful influences involved, but I'm not going to go into that. Um, sorry, viewers, <laughs> listeners. <I'm> sorry. 
yeah, no, there were other things going on. But ultimately what I would say is if you find yourself in that type of situation, whether it's a, a polyamorous relationship or it's just a, it's a heterosexual type of situation or you're involved with uh, somebody who's, in, who's married, um, if you're a catalyst for that type of uh, drama and you didn't think it was going to cause that, but then when that moment came and it did cause it, everybody needs to step back and reevaluate their place in it in their situation. No matter what type of feelings you may have or what type of um, dreams and uh, in, in daydreaming you were doing about, oh, the type of relationship that we're going to have. Because in the end, if you're not living with that person and you're just dating them from and fucking from the outside for, I don't care if it's six months or five years, living with somebody and being with them uh, day in and day out, 24 hours a day, seven days a week is totally different than just being, you know, the lover and fuck bud on the side. Well, that's why you need to make sure you're ready to commit to that person before you marry them. Some people out there need to understand that. Uh-huh. Maybe that's why I can't meet nobody because I'm told all court it's not going to be none of this hanky panky stuff going around if you marry me. And that's something you need to evaluate. You know, <laughs> you're not going to bring back some some disease to me that's fatal. Look, there are plenty of people that have the concept instilled in them about monogamy, and that's just the way they want it, which is wonderful. Well, no, you're mine. You're mine. You know. Uh, well, absolutely. But again, after... I mean, if that's the case, we could have just not got married and, and continued dating. You just see whoever you want to see, and I see whoever I want to see. Then that is the conversation that two adults need to have and put on the table. You know? I get and so they, tired of these, these guys who come to me and say, well, my wife and I want to spice up our life, and we brought in another girl, and she left me <laughs> for the other girl. We're no Absolutely. longer together. No, I, I agree. Um, that is something that happens way too often. And again, because I think that people are not, it depends on their maturity. It depends on their relationship experiences, what it is they're wanting. And some people just have a hard time communicating what they want. That's why if you're 43 or 45 or 50 and you are single and then you meet somebody, Hopefully, those two individuals that just met will talk about this at, and put it all on the table. What is it that you're looking for? Do you want a monogamous relationship both sexually and emotionally? Or do you want to, you know, potentially after we've been together for two, three, four years, then we could become swingers? That's just the whole idea. The thing is, it cannot be considered taboo anymore because all of this is unfolding and it's happening every day in you know multiple households across the country so people need to talk about it and develop um, their emotions a little bit more regarding it i mean on on some of the hookup apps the dating apps they have that as well i just filled out a, a thing yesterday for an app and said do you believe in are, are you looking for monogamy non-monogamy prefer not to say <laughs> so it, this this is this is where it's going because our parents 
their generation and the generation before them were all instilled with the whole idea like, oh, no, you're with somebody, you're going to be with them until you die. <laughs> well, and it's like, again, my grandparents were with each other until they died. Yes. But my obviously my grandfather did all kinds of manly things with other women, too. And, you know, my grandmother was like, okay. If she knew what was going on, she was totally fine with him leaving her alone. Oh, well. I guess different strokes are different folks. I don't know. <laughs> but, yeah, I just I kind of wanted to talk about that. Okay. Here, Here's the bottom line for me. Obviously, it takes two to, to uh, tango. And... A relationship is 50-50. So, I'm 50% partly to blame, and so is my ex now. He's 50% part to blame as well. And I, of course, raise my hand up and say, yes, I have um, uh, my part in it as well. And it's not that I'm innocent, and it's not that he's innocent. We both have culpability in it. Absolutely. We both um, fucked up. Now, did maybe one of us fuck up a little bit more at certain times? Sure. Absolutely. But the ugly truth of it is, too, when there is a wrongful influence or multiple wrongful influences, those types of things need to be worked out or if it's a person that person needs to um, walk away and give the two individuals time to assess their issues because that wrongful influence may have exposed the vulnerability uh, an issue in the dynamic between the the couple so give them some time to work it out if it can be. So an additional layer to the ugly truth is that the wrongful influence involved should take some fucking responsibility for their actions and own up to it. All of their actions preceding and then proceeding the events that they were a part of that led to the demise of someone else's relationship and marriage. Instead of exploiting that vulnerability, once you were aware of it, you saw it, you saw the drama, again, walk away. But instead of doing that, you exploit that vulnerability for your pleasure, your benefit, your own emotions, and then, in, of course, in perpetuity to that, you uh, inflict drama, hurt, and pain upon others. That is someone who is definitely exhibiting some type of lack of morals, so I would say maybe immoral, 
and they are filled with pain and anguish and sorrow, maybe resentment, bitterness. They're filled with these things. They're self-centered, self-righteous. And they're tainted by these toxic characteristics due to whatever emotional pain or whatever situations they've gone through. And then they wish to spread that toxicity to others. But that is definitely someone who is emotionally immature, psychologically imbalanced, emotionally imbalanced, and is totally unaware, perhaps borderline narcissistic, of their own issues and what you would perceive as oh just a hopeless romantic but no they have some serious issues going on and they don't care how they get what they want as uh, long as uh, they hurt someone else even in the process of getting what they want or they think that they want and something that's going to fulfill them but unfortunately it won't because nothing can because they are too fill, uh, they are too devoid of any real love and genuine uh, emotional balance. Oh, Obviously, you know. Actually, there's a million things we can be talking about right now, too, including like what's going on in the Middle East. The jihad with Israel and Hamas. Yes, which is very very scary and um but first off you know all of our thoughts and prayers go to the individuals and the families that have been hurt um and the people that are being displaced and um there is no doubt as president biden said it was you know extreme evil and uh horrible crimes against humanity just basically atrocities mm -hmm. so uh yes our prayers, our thoughts, I mean, it's just something I've been praying about constantly um, for there to be some type of and the end solution, um, peaceful solution of some sort. When it comes to Israel, it, I don't think so. Not until the Lord comes back and steps foot on the ground there. Yeah, definitely, most likely. You know, because they're fighting over the land, over, over the West, well, particularly the West Bank. Mm-hmm. So. I've been wanting to go there for years. I've been wanting to go, but I'm, I, I have to be honest. I'm, I've, always, I've always been afraid. Uh, like Something like what happened last week could, could have happened at any moment in well, time. Well, yeah, I mean, because, but they live with that every day. Missiles come in, come into Jerusalem and, or from Hamas or mm -hmm. whoever, Taliban, whatever stuff. The missiles come in, and the only thing saving them you know, with them living this every day, it's Iron Dome and it's Iron, Iron Dome. Dome yeah. yeah, and you know, every time they launch Iron Dome, it's supposed to be like $50,000 every time they launch it mm. to okay. counteract the missiles. Yeah. So, that's every day for them. Yeah, no, they live in that type of, that world every day. But that's just why I never, I never went there because I'm like, that could happen at any moment in time and all of those people all of the hostages, again, I mean, our hearts and our prayers, our thoughts are with them constantly. 
it, it was a uh, it was the absolute worst of humanity yeah and that ideology too is just um, the Hamas ideology is I mean that is it's unspeakable unthinkable unfathomable for people to think that way um, so true but hopefully um, at some point in time in the future we'll be able to visit and not have to be worried about that type of thing happening anymore I hope so but if I had to die somewhere that's the way I would want to die visiting the holy land where Jesus put his footsteps I know, right? at yeah yeah um, all we could definitely say is you know for everybody to be careful be vigilant be aware be alert um, out there because there are a lot of uh, there's going to be fanatics on both sides um and there's gonna be well, they're more than fanatics. They're they're delusional. Yes, they are delusional. Delusional. Delusional fanatics. And uh, it doesn't matter if they use guns, cars, whatever. I mean, they could use any type of anything for a weapon. And I mean, there were so many times where they just went and stabbed people. Well, they used themselves. Oh yeah, they could just pack some pack themselves with uh, explosives too. You know? This the main thing is just everybody be careful, be aware, and be alert. And, um, like I said, hopefully in the, in the future, people will be able to venture back off to Israel and, you know, get to have that communion there with God. Right. Because one day I'd love to do that as well. Yep. So, um, okay, I think this was a good episode. Oh, you know, we need to talk about Halloween, but we'll do that next episode as we get closer. Okay. Okay. Um, well, thank you guys for joining and listening, and we hope that we didn't ramble on too much for you. And remember, uh, give us an email if you have any questions. Uh, it's a uh, psychic – no, not psychic. I'm sorry. I'm thinking about myself. Mysticmisfits21 at gmail.com. And, of course, our website is mysticmisfits.net. And you can listen to us on Podbean and Apple Podcast. And I promise soon we will be on Spotify. Um, and I guess that's it, right? Yeah, this okay. is it. Until next time. Until next time. Peace out. Many blessings. And please, um, like us, continue to pray for um, the people of Israel. And even the displaced individuals, the innocent individuals, um, uh, there in Gaza who are trying to uh, get away from Hamas.